Welcome to week two key takeaways here on the collective podcast feed. Austin checking in again to walk you guys through what I think is uh, the most important information to digest from the college football uh, slate each week. Um, second week here doing the show. If you haven't checked out the article, you guys can go ahead and do that. But uh, the podcast is going to, uh, I think, add some information uh, that was not included in there. As always, before we kick off, just want to thank you guys for being our biggest supporters, the NIL and all 22 folks listening to this. Uh, you guys uh, really help us out a lot. So thank you guys for everything that you do. On to discussion. Week one target leaders, we're going to start off with that. Or week two target leaders, we're going to start with that every single week here. Uh, an interesting list, and I think this week's, uh, much like last week's, I think is a lot of names that I would kind of expect to see on here. I haven't seen a ton of surprising names yet at this point through the season. Uh, weirdly, Evan Stewart actually uh, was the leading target guy this week. Also had a ton of targets week one as well, so I think it's safe to assume that he's just going to be the guy, quote-unquote, for Texas A&M this year. I think he's a, I mean, he's expensive. Like this is going to sound like a captain obvious thing, but I think he's a huge buy right now. I still don't think he's priced appropriately. And so I think going out and spending up for Evan Stewart in a trade, uh, not a bad idea. I'm probably going to try to float some offers this week. Maybe uh, some of those freshmen that we really liked this year, kind of see if I can trade them up into Evan Stewart. And if I can't, uh, then maybe see, you know, if my NFL team isn't, it's only one week. I don't know, but if it's not looking like it's going to be good over there already, maybe try to trade back. Uh, down into college for Evan Stewart and pick him up uh, that way. Just reminds me so much of Garrett Wilson watching him play. Uh, some other names here on this list that I think we like a lot for future NFL value as well. Matthew Golden, who I still remain skeptical. We can count on uh, from a weekly consistency basis, but went for 14 targets in this one. Uh, they threw the ball over 40 times, so he got a third of their targets. Uh, him and Sam Brown, it looks like, are, have kind of consolidated uh, the major target share between the two of them. So, um, I think those are the two guys that you want to roster in that offense. And I'm actually going to talk about Sam Brown here in a little bit is a, a definite waiver ad for this week. Um, kind of a sneaky guy. Maybe if you, if you don't have enough cash to go after some of the big guys still floating around out there on waivers, uh, the other, uh, major Debbie guy, obviously here, Marvin Harrison jr. At Ohio state finally got, uh, the amount of targets that he probably should be getting here. Got 13 this week. Uh, 34 pass attempts though for Ohio State. I know is Youngstown, but they tend to run up the score in some of these early season games to get the offense clicking. And they did not in this one. I only watched a part of it, so I can't say for sure. Um, if that was just the coaches didn't want to or not, but I, I still have some concerns about this offense. Like the fact that he this week was almost 40% of their targets. That would be great if he had 18 targets, but only at 13. I mean, I, I'm still a little concerned for this passing attack. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. still a start every week, but I think it's just something to watch that maybe in some matchups, maybe we won't be able to play him. I'm not prepared to definitely say that yet, but I am going to be watching closely, especially when it's not Youngstown State uh, moving forward. Notre Dame in two weeks, I think, going to be the big litmus test there. The other names on the list here, uh, Lejante Wester uh, was second uh, in, in, uh, across the slate here in targets this week with 16. Uh, the aforementioned Golden and Will Shepard from Vanderbilt both had 14. Uh, Jaden Higgins from Iowa State had 13. Didn't do a ton with it, but, I mean, that's Iowa State. What are you going to do? Uh, Marvin Harrison uh, and Corey Rucker from Arkansas State also at 13. 
I didn't even realize Rucker had gotten his waiver. So I think that's interesting. Uh, could, could be uh, kind of back to old Corey Rucker before he left Arkansas State the first time. Jacob Cowing, George Johnson the third from UMass, Gage Lar- Larvadane, I think is how you say it, from Miami of Ohio, uh, Pafeli Ashlock from Hawaii, Terrell Vaughn from Utah State, and Xavier Weaver from Colorado all had 12. I think, well, I. I don't know what to make with the UMass guy yet. I still am trying to do some digging to see if I if that's something that I feel like I can count on on a weekly basis. For now, I'm leaning no. That is not a priority ad for me this week. Uh, the other guys, though, uh, uh, Gay uh, Larva Dane. That's how I'm just going to say it the rest of the episode. It's probably completely wrong, but for continuity's sake. Got 52% of Miami of Ohio's targets this week. That would generally be concerning if they didn't typically have one guy who dominated target share and by extension target dominated, uh, you know, just any sort of receiving stats. So I'm actually in on him. And I think um, our, our own volume pigs has written some stuff on him in the past. I think he's a really interesting guy. We thought it was going to be miles Marshall. I think it's going to be him. Ashlock and Vaughn uh, repeat on this loop with this list for two weeks in a row, both huge buys. We talked about Ashlock last week, Vaughn, Vaughn could be a wide, could be a top five wide receiver for fantasy this year, and I think the big thing is that he's just getting, like, just in forty two percent of the targets this week, just an insane amount. It's low ish a dot stuff, not like line of scrimmage, but it's not you know twelve to fifteen yards downfield either. Um, but he just gets so much volume that the floor is amazing, and I think if he keeps finding the end zone and or breaks one or two bigger plays throughout a game, then the ceiling is there too. Like, but both are there. Weekly starter, I think he's a guy that's still undervalued again on the trade market. So if you're uh, already trying to consolidate for a championship push, he's a big target for me, as is Xavier Weaver uh, at Colorado. I am willing to probably overpay a little bit for Weaver in this Colorado offense. Um, I'm willing to buy to pay up for him or Jimmy Horn, quite frankly. I do think there will be some weeks where one or the other, Travis Hunter maybe ever, every third or fourth game will come in with a nice one. Um, but th- those two are the guys that I'm, I'm really focused on. Uh, uh, moving forward. Wester is also a huge buy for me, but I have a lot of Wester. Um, I just think he, Florida Atlantic, they're going to throw the ball a lot. He's a good player, especially for the power five. I think he's a, he's a very good player. Um, they, they threw the ball over 40 times this week. I mean, I think he's going to consistently get targets. So uh, Wester, a guy, again, that I think is probably too cheap. Uh, and I think you can buy him now before he strings together a couple more performances uh, like this one. Um, moving on to, uh, the second item here, freshman snap counts. I uh, went through and pulled all this information yesterday. Um, I think this week was led by a couple of freshman quarterbacks. We've actually got three of them. Well, four of them starting now. Dante Moore got pulled a little early because they were blowing out, uh, their opponent. Uh, but Keon, Keon Jenkins from Florida international, Jaden Rashada from Arizona state and Anthony, Anthony Calandria from Virginia, all started played every single offensive snap for their respective teams this week um i so uh, calandria was not a guy on my radar at all um but he did look good in the spring so i at least was familiar with his name and then once musket went down um that that seemed like the obvious pivot there for them jenkins i had literally no idea who he was before this but he is dual threat ish We'll put him in that category. He he has uh, picked up some some rushing production over the past couple of weeks. 
Uh, wasn't amazing passing week one against Maine. I think he was just over 50%, but this week completed over 62% of his passes, almost 300 yards against North Texas. I mean, that's not, it, it wasn't Texas, Texas, but that's who FIU plays uh, from the FBS on a, a weekly basis moving forward. So Jenkins is a guy that if you're in a deeper league, snap him up for sure. If you're not in a deeper league, I think he's still watch list. But he's a guy that I'm very interested in, one of these guys that could just be a really nice producer at a lower-level school against lower-level competition. Um, some other guys on this list that I think are notable before I list off just the top guys for this week. Um, uh, the two uh, NC State's uh, wide, quote-unquote wide receivers, Juice Farine, I think is technically like a tight end or whatever for them. Uh, him and Kevin Concepcion, they were both over 50% of the snaps and I believe they were the target or at least receiving leaders uh, for, for NC state this week. So that's going to, I think, continue moving forward. Certainly wouldn't expect that to that number to go down after that performance against Notre Dame this weekend. Uh, Deuce Robinson had a, he, uh, played over 50% of the snaps for USC, but I think that uh, had a little bit to do with the uh, flow of that game, getting out to that huge lead early. The other guy that I want to highlight, though, that I think is really important is Darius Taylor at Minnesota. And he is floating around on some waiver wires. I know a couple of folks in the industry really liked him, um, uh, J.D. Yonke and um, uh, Josh uh, Chevalier. Both really, really liked him uh, this offseason. So you CFF guys, if you don't know who Josh is. So you, he might be rostered, but if he's not, I think he's the, the leading rusher for Minnesota moving forward. Um, and so that's a that's a, a guy that we want on our roster. So I'd be willing to pay up for him if he's sitting out there on waivers this week. Other guys that finished in, in the top 10 or so. Luke Haas from Arkansas had another huge week, 86% of the snaps. I don't think we're going to see him going anywhere soon. Hasn't really been uber productive yet, um, but I think he should be 100% rostered at this stage. Dylan Edwards, again, made another performance, obviously regressed this week with production, but uh, nice to see him on the field a lot. I still expect that to decrease a little bit once Alton McCaskill's uh, healthy, but he's not there yet. Eugene Wilson from Florida played 77% of their snaps. I've been telling you guys, this is a guy that he offers something that nobody else on that team does, which gives him a, a, a just a direct line to snaps to uh, almost guaranteed at least a couple of targets every week. Um, so, so, I think he's, if, if somebody doesn't know what they have with him, he's a buy, but I'm not, uh, breaking the bank for him. Uh, and then uh, who's the other guy here? True Edwards from Louisiana Tech. His dad, um, uh, Troy Edwards, played at Louisiana Tech, actually won the Bolitnikoff there uh, back in 98, something like that, was drafted by the Steelers in the first round. Uh, didn't Wasn't terrible in the NFL, but didn't have an, an amazing career. But regardless, uh, a guy that I think playing over 50% of snaps in week two at his father's alma mater, uh, I'd probably be paying attention to that. I'd probably be paying attention to that. Uh, and of course, I, mean, I didn't really talk about Rashad at all, but you know, I think he's got that job locked down uh, moving forward. Volume is king. Item number three, just the offenses that ran a ton of snaps this week. Uh, the list is almost completely different from last week, which I think shows, as I mentioned in the article, the fact to, to run this many plays in any given week. Uh, obviously, we're never going to see Iowa run this many. So it does require uh, some certain offensive systems, but it also kind of needs to be dictated by opponent and game script. So, you know, you'll get these peak weeks out of an offense a couple times a year, but uh, even some of the schools that, that put up a ton last week that aren't on here this week still ran, you know, 65 plus plays 
which is still a really, really nice uh, volume for, for all the playmakers there. So here were the top teams here in week two. UTSA ran 93 plays. Surprised me a little bit because they uh, did almost nothing offensively, but they ran a lot of plays, only scored 20 points. So that's either that either means uh, I would think that that would mean that that offense is 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 due for some regression, positive regression at some point, although they just haven't looked convincing. So, you know, whatever that's worth. Appalachian State ran 90 plays. They went to overtime. A&M ran 88, 88. I don't think you would have seen that out of a Jimbo team over the past few years. So it does look like Bobby Petrino has some influence there. USF, uh, 87 plays, and that's a, a Tennessee spinoff. Alex Goulash and, you know, can trace it back further than that. But um, I think they'll be running a lot of plays. Great thing for Byron Brown. And then maybe some of the ancillary pieces there. I've, some people like Caffrey Brown. I, I don't I don't know that we know, at least for the long term, what the the – surrounding talent looks like there but something to monitor houston ran 85 uh smu ran 84 and their loss to oklahoma which i found interesting uh tulane ran 83 plays nc state ran 82 plays north texas also ran 82 and purdue 81 so these you know offenses that we think probably you know you want to pay attention to especially if the the pass run split uh, is is really leaning one way or the other. Uh, for instance, this week, Texas A&M passed the ball 63 times, only ran at 25. That's interesting for Wegman. Really, really hurts if you were trying to target some of those running backs, some other offenses that had uh, particularly skewed uh, splits one way or the other. NC State ran 57 pass plays and only 25 rush. So again, I think we like probably, depending on matchup, Armstrong and some of those receivers there. Um, uh, SMU passed 50 times, only ran at 34. Houston passed 53, ran at 32. South Florida passed 56, or at least dropped back to pass 56, uh, only had 31 designed rushes. So, um, th- those splits I think are interesting and, and, you know, obviously make you want to lean a little more toward, uh, the passing, uh, attacks there. Purdue, for instance, actually ran more than they passed. So, you know, Mockaby, that, that's a guy that, that maybe is a little too cheap right now. Uh, just based on on what we uh, think we know at this stage. Item number four for this week, must-have waiver ads. And I put some waiver ads here in the uh, article. You can find some other ones. Uh, Volume Pigs does one. I believe we're putting out one here today. I believe uh, Dwight Peoples is writing it. Uh, Debbie Watch does one. I mean, there's a couple different places out there if you're looking for uh, waiver wire information for college leagues, um, although a lot of those are skewed more CFF. So, uh, I try to give a little more of, you know, these guys are probably already rostered or these guys may not be uh, as I look through this. Um, number one waiver out of the week is Chris Mitchell, wide receiver from FIU. Briefly talked about him last week on Campus Life. I don't think I mentioned him on this show last week, but he's emerged as the top FIU wide receiver. He seems like he has pretty good chemistry with Kayon Jenkins, who I, I mentioned earlier. Looks like that he's going to be their quarterback for the future. Uh, Jenkins didn't play week zero. He stepped in after that. What well, they threw for, I think, four passing yards week zero. They brought in Jenkins, and then they've been almost 600 total yards the past two weeks. I wasn't necessarily a buyer after last week because it was new quarterback, uh, player that I had no idea who he was, a system without a history of big producers, one week of production. Like Those are all kind of red flags for me that I'm not – not really spending up. Uh, I did in some deeper leagues, uh, got him for fairly cheap, but but in a normal league, I, I wasn't spending that. But he now has 20 targets in two weeks, uh, almost 300 yards, three touchdowns. FIU schedule doesn't get that much more difficult than it is now. 
which I think is a great thing for him. So Mitchell is a guy that I think I'm willing to spend up to 50% of budget. If, and if you missed out on some guys last week and you really need a guy because you think you are, like, if you're 0-2 and you haven't performed well, you don't need Chris Mitchell. You don't need to spend a lot of money on him. You're probably not going to win it this year, like just straight up after two weeks. If you're last and you're last in scoring by 150 points, this year is not your year. I'd actually be selling if I were you. But if you're buying or you're kind of you're kind of in the middle uh, of the pack and maybe another receiver is really going to be big for you, I, I would spend up to 50% on Chris Mitchell and not feel bad about it. The other guy that I would spend big on this week is uh, Larbadine from Miami of Ohio. Uh, 12 targets each of the past two weeks. Been pretty productive. 16 catches, 345 yards, three touchdowns. He looks good with the ball in his hands. I watched... Uh, that game, they are looking to get him the ball as much as they possibly can, it looks like. They don't have a lot of other options anyway. Um, so I think uh, really nice upside here, really nice floor, can have some ceiling weeks. Uh, I, I think he's pretty safe. So another guy that I'd probably spend up to 50%-ish, maybe even a little a little more than that if you know your league mates who who have a lot of money sitting around and, and, and like to spend. The last name that I mentioned in the article was Roman Wilson. He is still floating around in some leagues, the Michigan guy, uh, wide receiver here. And I think I have conflicting feelings on him because he's only had 13 targets through two weeks, but he has been very, very productive on those targets uh, for Michigan. He, uh, I, I, I go back and forth because I think this offense has not really had to take it into another gear passing wise. So there is potential for a few more targets, but I mean, 167 yards, and five touchdowns, the five touchdowns is really what's driven him from a fantasy perspective. I do think there's some NFL value here, but I think like his ceiling would be low, late day two, very, very late day two. I think it's more likely he's like a fourth, fifth round kind of guy. So I, I think he's not a priority for me. And if you have a league mate who spent a lot on him, I wouldn't feel upset if I also had a claim in and they end up beating me to it because I think there is... I think there's a there's a, a decent chance that we see him take a step back here uh, in this offense, um, but there is a small chance that again with higher passing volume he goes from five and eight targets the past two weeks to I don't know seven to eight targets on the low end and closer to, to double digits on the high end. So just something to monitor. But I do preach some caution if you're looking to add Roman Wilson and looking to spend big to do it. I, I would I would be a little hesitant to do that. Is could he be Jalen Hyatt this year? He could. You could just, I don't think that that's enormously likely. And so I'm, I'm probably avoiding some other names that I did not include in the article, but I want to give to you guys and kind of from a spending perspective, what I'm planning on doing with them. I want to start with Holden stays the tight end at Notre Dame. And you, if you are a, someone who has a Ronda Gadsden who got injured this week, we're going to talk about him, cover him in the injury section here uh, in, in a couple of minutes. Um, if you were counting on, um, I, I don't know that is uh, I actually think most of the top tight ends have produced so far. Bowers didn't have a great week too, but he had a, a pretty nice week one. But if you just need a little more tight end depth, uh, you came in a little shallow this year. I think you could do a lot worse than stays. He's really interesting. He's like six, four and a half to 40, pretty athletic guy, basketball track backgrounds, uh, second year at Notre Dame. The reason that I'm not like that endorsing this like a huge investment into stays is because he only had five targets, but he did turn them into four catches for 115 yards and two very long touchdowns, which I don't know are super sustainable moving forward. It's not the same offense that's 
well, at least not the same OC that's been there the past couple of years. So I don't think you can necessarily lean on the, uh, well, look what Michael Mayer did. I just don't think they're going to target the tight end at that rate. And there's no reason to Holden stays. Isn't Michael Mayer either. So I think he's a guy that I'm spending like maybe 5% of my budget. If I really need a tight end, maybe I could creep up to 10. Uh, I'd rather go out and like try to trade for somebody dirt cheap or something like that. If I, if I needed to, cause I just, I think he's worth picking up and exploring in a deeper league or an unlimited waiver situation. If you've got only four waivers, I would not spend on him or even eight waivers. I would probably not go for Holden stays unless my team is just so set. And really what I'm missing is a backup tight end. But at that point, like you're, I'd rather just go trade for a better one personally, personally, but um, I think he is notable and worth at least mentioning here. A couple holdovers from last week that I think uh, repeated this week, or at least were good enough to make me uh, more interested uh, in them. Uh, Eric Brooks, the wide receiver of Fresno, had 11 targets again this week, had double digits last week as well. I think at 13, um, turned that into eight catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. I think he's here to stay 30 to 40% of budget. I would go spend on him for sure. I think he's in for a nice season there. Marcus Carroll, uh, the Georgia State running back, 25 carries this week after dominating touches the week before that, had 103 yards and three touchdowns. He's got, I believe, three touchdowns in both games. That is not sustainable, folks, but I do think the touch volume and the fact that, again, that a weaker schedule for some of these lower G5 teams, uh, I think he's probably here to stay as well. The last holdover from last week that I think I still see floating around out there some places. Oh, Marcus Carroll, 35%-ish, 30 to 40%. Uh, Lincoln Victor is the other one here, Washington State wide receiver. I think he's their guy. I think he's their guy. Uh, even in a, a game here against Wisconsin that uh, Wisconsin tried to slow it down a little bit, didn't run as many plays as maybe you would expect them to typically. Uh, Victor had uh, seven catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. Also has 23 targets through two games. I mean, that's that's really good stuff from him. Uh, run and shoot ish offense uh, with him as, as the key slot guy. Uh, I think we could be looking at a top 15 receiver rest of season. So again, 30 to 40% of budget for, for him. So all, all those kind of holdover guys that have now done it twice. If you needed that extra confirmation, you got it this week. I, I'm going to go spend on them now. Cheap ads for this week, as in like guys that if you think the rest of your league mates are going to be clamoring over some of these expensive guys, or you don't have that much budget and you're just looking for maybe some some players that you that I don't think your league mates will be fighting with you too much on. Here's what I've got for this week: Jaquan Jackson at Tulane wide receiver. Uh, we kind of liked him as the next guy there at Tulane to step up, and he definitely has. He got nine targets this week, uh, only four catches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. Um, so you can, you know, argue maybe the performance statistically wasn't amazing, uh, but it's 20-ish fantasy points. And the nine targets is really what we like to see, especially after he got targeted pretty heavily week one. So uh, that that that's good for Jaquan Jackson. His uh, week one targets, uh, oh, actually week one, he only had four targets. So I, I actually was a little concerned. Um, but I, the nine targets are good to see. Um, I, I like that. I think he'll be closer to that number moving forward uh, for Tulane. Um I don't know that he's necessarily startable every week. Maybe he's kind of a bi-week filling guy, but I think he's a guy that you can spend five-ish percent on, probably get him, and he can round out a bench for you. Andrew Peasley, I think, is really interesting. The Wyoming quarterback. Um, just this huge dude who can pass the ball around a little bit. He doesn't look awful, uh, but he also has over 100 rush yards the last two weeks combined. 
combined between the two weeks. So he's got a decent rushing floor, especially if he's picking up some rushing touchdowns. And the big thing for him is that his playoff weeks are his opponents are UNLV, Hawaii, and Nevada. That's a great playoff matchup for him, like 2% of budget, maybe even less than that. Can probably get you Peasley if you're a little thin at quarterback. You need maybe like a fifth, sixth, seventh type of guy on your team uh, that, that actually plays football. Uh, not just sitting on a bench. I think that that he's uh, a guy that you can get really, really cheap. And I, I really like that playoff matchup uh, for him. For people that have Caleb Williams, man, he's not playing championship week. So if you're a contender, you I mean, you can say, oh, well, I have Caleb Williams. I've got, you know, Joe Milton or whatever. I, I don't think I'd ever want to start him week 13. I, there, I think you should start preparing now if your team looks like it's a contender. Uh, a couple wide receivers here that I think uh, are cheap-ish options, although I think Sam Brown from Houston, you probably have to spend up a little bit more on him, maybe 10, 15, 20%. Uh, 11 targets this week, nine catches, 138 yards, zero touchdowns. Last week, he went six targets, six catches, 106 yards. I think what this offense is doing is really interesting. Last week, they were using uh, Matthew Golden a little more as a possession guy, you know, between six and 15 yards downfield is essentially the windows he was working in. Sam Brown was working deep. They actually kind of flipped their roles this week. So I think, I think what we're going to see here is we're not going to see a tank Dell situation out of Houston this year. We're going to see some target consolidation between two guys and they're, they're very fluid in terms of what roles they can play. So I think both are really, really interesting. I think Sam Brown is definitely a must roster um, and I think, again, kind of a bi-week guy, if you start picking up some injuries, he, he I'm very comfortable flexing him because I think the volume week in, week out of Houston is just going to flat out be there. Uh, they ran, they were on the the most plays run this week. I mean, they, they, they're running a ton of plays uh, if they can. Um, Jamal Bell, the other one from Nevada, 19 targets through two weeks. And then Nevada is not an offense that I'm like falling over to go by. But I do think Bell with that kind of volume could be the focal point of their offense here moving forward. Uh, eight. Eight targets against USC, for, and he had eight catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. This week, he had 11 targets against Idaho, uh, and he had nine catches for 76 yards, no touchdowns. I, mean, I think this is a floor guy. I don't know that the super, super ceiling is there because I don't know that Nevada's offense can always provide that for him, but I think game script is generally going to be in his favor, which is a nice thing. So again, 5%-ish, maybe up to 10% for him, uh, depending on how many waiver ads you get throughout the year. Then the other name that I think is just really interesting that got targeted quite a bit this week and caught my eye as I watched this game was Deshaun Davis at Appalachian State. Now, it doesn't look like he's playing a ton of snaps, which is why I'm like kind of cautiously optimistic for him. Um, and he's not, he's, he, this is like unlimited waivers deeply. You have a couple just empty spots on your bench from injuries or just, you know, whatever. Um, cause he only got three targets in the, in, in the opener against Gardner Webb. But I think any guy that gets 11 targets against UNC, uh, has my attention and turns those into seven for 117 and one. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's playing only slot and week one, he only played 23 snaps week two. He played 43 snaps. He's not a full-time guy. I don't know if this is – I actually would have to go back and look and see if they're just running more two wide receiver sets and he doesn't fit in there. I'm honestly not exactly sure what the reasoning for that is, but I think he's a guy that's like super, super deep, just like 1% or less because I don't think you need to spend any more than that, um, but an interesting guy in very, very deep uh, formats there, and that's Deshaun Davis from Appalachian State again. Uh, injuries to monitor this week. 
if you have the CFB winning edge uh, package with us, uh, Nick does a really good job of combining all of the injury information and giving you at least what the schools are saying is kind of the uh, return uh, prognosis in the short term. Um, a couple that I just highlighted in the article, and then I have one or two other ones that I think uh, you should be looking at. Uh, Aranda Gadsden mentioned him earlier. He left this game early in the first quarter, actually. Um, the, he, he was seen on the sideline, boot, and uh, crutches. So I feel pretty good saying he's probably not playing next week. Uh, we have never received no information beyond that. So I can't uh, even really try to start guessing as to what his long-term prognosis is. But if I have Gadsden, and I have Gadsden and didn't really draft a ton behind him because I had him, I would start uh, making other plans today. I would. I would start uh, either on waivers or sniffing around uh, on other teams for for some guys that can fill in. I think some guys that are cheap that maybe you can go after. Ben Sinat at, at Kansas State, uh, uh, Harold Fannin at Bowling Green. Um, uh, that's kind of the Cal- – Dallin Holker, Colorado State. I'd, I'd go after guys like that. I think you can probably get them for a reasonable price. And I think they can fill in for a few weeks uh, and maybe even get two of them. Like really, I, it, which kind of stinks to say, but if you don't have a lot of options behind him and your team is a contender, I think you need to pre- prepare for Gats and to be out for six weeks. So does one tight end get you there? Assess your roster, figure it out from there. Speaking of guys that at least had tight end eligibility or in a lot of leagues do Dalvin Smith also went down uh Similar situation uh, for Western Kentucky, foot, ankle-ish, boot after the game. Uh, I am, again, preparing as if he's out four to six weeks. And I think this is a bummer because Western Kentucky has now lost uh, Michael Matheson, Dalvin Smith, and Malachi Corley, um, who were supposed to be their three starters. Now, Corley has – they've said Corley will be back this week. It's Ohio State. But I think, like, the volume he's going to see for the rest of the season is just going to be ridiculous. Um, because no Smith and no Matheson for the time being. Uh, a couple other injuries that I just wanted to highlight. George Halani doesn't seem like there's any announcement on his return, but I would expect him back sooner rather than later. Um, the worry for if you're a Halani person and you were expecting to play him is that Gentis looked really good without him. So, you know, what what kind of backfield share is he looking at? Jade Knott left their game, Cal's game in, against Stanford. Uh, sounds like he'll probably be back sooner rather than later as well. Still no news on guys like Lad McConkey um, in, in the short term. We'll see what's going on with him. Uh, Michael Pratt missed the game. I don't think he's going to be out too long. Um, but I, I, if it was bad enough to keep him out against Ole Miss, which is one of their bigger games of the season, I would suspect he might miss at least one more game uh, with an injury. So pay, pay attention there with him. Um uh, still no news on Braylon Braxton. Cameron Rising is is coming along, whatever the heck that means. Uh, John Reese Plumley, uh, I believe, picked up a small injury, but I think he'll play. It looks like he's listed as questionable, but I, I think he will. And then the big one, actually, that I think is going to bail so many people out this year from being just absolutely incorrect is Makai Bernard, the running back at Utah. Now, last year, I was very much off the Chase Brown hype train at Illinois. I said, you guys are completely ignoring the fact that he's got Josh McCray sitting behind him, and Josh McCray is going to demand a decent amount of rushes. Well, Josh McCray got injured like four touches into week one last year, which allowed Chase – obviously, they had a plan for the kid, 
and Chase Brown goes off, has a huge season. I think we ignored Bernard and, and, and Glover and some of these other guys at Utah this offseason. Um, but with Bernard uh, suffering an off-the-field injury, like not related to football, I, I don't know. They, they haven't released what it is. But I do think this could unleash Jackson as this offense starts to kind of come together, especially if, if Rising is back in the next week or two. Um, so, I mean, congratulations to Quinton Jackson owners because I think at this point the volume is is probably going to be pretty pretty locked in. So. Um, he, 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 if you're a Jaquin and Jackson uh, owner, you're feeling much better today than you were this time last week. Uh, number six here. Uh, if you are a contender, some moves that I'm thinking about making, uh, over the next couple of weeks, guys that I'm trying to acquire at different price points, um, uh, across leagues, quarterback, I mean, I think the Mac is an obvious way to go and really the, the G5 as a whole, because I think anytime you see a good, productive Power 5 quarterback, people are going to assume that there's some NFL potential there and the value is going to be a little bit higher than it would be otherwise. Daquan Finn, Curtis Rourke, two guys that I think uh, I, I'm trying to target. The Finn, Finn might be a little more costly. Rourke, I think, especially if the team that has Curtis Rourke is, has not done well. Uh, it's his... Uh, I'm going to say this and be wrong now, but I think it's his last year of eligibility, Curtis Rourke. So um, once that whole offense is healthy, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be what we expected him to be. Um, but until that point, uh, a little bit of struggles there for him and, and with Wigless out and everything. So uh, I think he's a guy that you you might be able to, to pick off a desperate owner uh, somewhere for a future pick. Bert Emanuel Jr. probably still isn't priced correctly either, although he after this week he he might be fairly expensive but um i mean the guy is like legitimately the worst quarterback in the country except for outside of maybe like army navy um type schools but he's just so athletic that it really doesn't matter uh some other guys that i think are too cheap right now still uh darren granger at georgia state uh byron brown at usf and then haynes king has actually put together two really nice weeks now i do think that I expect him to regress a little bit as they just play power five opponent after power five opponent uh, in the conference schedule. But uh, they've really kind of made him work so far, um, which I found really, really interesting. I, I wouldn't necessarily have expected that. So uh, Haynes King, I don't know if somebody has him rostered, maybe in a seventh or eighth round pick. I, I, if somebody has Haynes King, they have probably had him for a long time now. And I think they've ridden the roller coaster long enough. that They just want off would be my guess. I think you can buy him for a mid-round pick in the future. Uh, it'd be fairly cheap there. Get him as a throw-in in some kind of other deal. Uh, Byron Brown, I, I, Darren Granger, I think should probably be a similar range. People just don't really seem to value him. I actually see him on on waivers in, in one or two leagues. Uh, Byron Brown, I, if somebody had drafted Byron Brown, they'd probably know what they have, but I'm not. I'm probably spending like maybe a fourth or fifth rounder if I desperately need a quarterback, but that's about the most expensive I'm going this early in the season. If my team's really looking strong, and I still need a QB in a couple weeks. Maybe I'll reconsider there. Running backs, some guys that I'm targeting. Again, Sia Bangura, Ohio, been disappointing. I think he's a guy that if the owner drafted him and spent significant capital, they might be a little skittish. If their team's doing poorly, maybe you can uh, trade a, a pick and uh, a kind of guy that maybe is a stash for a future year. If someone's tanking, they don't care anyway. Um, uh, to get Bangura up someone's hands. Ray Davis, I think you can get for a fifth to seventh round pick. Uh, depending on your league mates, uh, RJ Harvey at UCF, I think uh, even maybe cheaper than that. Uh, although he's a little bit of a lower priority because he hasn't quite been getting the volume that I thought he would through the air. 
Uh, and then uh, Blake Watson's actually a super sneaky guy at Memphis that I think you can get for cheap if the owner is, has a really bad team uh, because his playoff schedule, and much like we were talking about with Peasley earlier, is Charlotte, SMU. You know, that could be a, a, a tougher matchup and then Temple. So uh, not not great defenses there. I don't know that I want to acquire him to be a weekly starter. And so maybe that means that I'm not targeting him today um, because if I'm buying a guy at this point in the season, I'm, it's a guy that I'm trying to punch into a lineup next week. But uh, I think he could do a lot worse than that down the stretch. Uh, wide receiver is just flat out my top tier of guys moving forward to try to acquire Jamari Thrash at Louisville. And I think you go buy him today if you want him because every week that he does well at a Power 5 team, he's going to get more NFL draft buzz which is going to raise his price. So if you want Jamari Thrash, go get him now. Other guys that I, I, I'm just, I, I'm fine going out and being a little aggressive, second, third rounders next year, Tyrell Vaughn, uh, Xavier Weaver, Lincoln Victor. I'd probably do a little cheaper on Victor, maybe fourth, fifth rounder. Uh, Lejante Wester, probably again in that range, maybe a fifth rounder can pry him from whoever has him. If you're looking to acquire a more expensive player that I think, you know, NFL potential uh, and I expect to be a CFF relevant in the future. I think Keon Coleman's the main guy that I'm looking at. Obviously, after two weeks, uh, his price has gone up significantly. Um, but I still think he's a guy that I'm willing to target and, and pay up for. And then actually Troy Franklin, who I've kind of been anti-Troy Franklin uh, over the past couple of years. But he's their main target. And I do think there's I, th- I think it, it's very clear for Troy Franklin that he's not going to get drafted day one. Um, but I think, you know late round two. Yeah, I think it can go in that range. Um, and so if you can buy him for a reasonable price, I think he's going to be uh, fairly productive for Oregon uh, down the stretch here, uh, at least as long as Bo Nix is healthy. So that, that's the kind of capital that I'm willing to spend on some of those guys. Um, if you have any questions on, on players you're thinking about buying, uh, sure, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer any questions on that. Uh, are we pressing the panic button? A few players that I am pressing the panic button on. Drake May. Not for his NFL future. I think he's going to be fine. But I do think this is, uh, from a fantasy perspective, very concerning this year. I think we anticipated this could be true. Offensive coordinator Phil Longo left, uh, loses his top two targets from last year. And then the guy that they thought would be his big target this year, Devontae Walker, obviously suspended right now. So um, through no real fault of his own. Um, so I, I think overall, a lot of things working against Drake May right now looks like they, I mean, they just ran, they, they went to overtime, they scored 40 points and Drake May was responsible for one touchdown. That's pretty damning, uh, hurt, hurt me in, in, in a spot, uh, hurt, uh, one or two, um, prize picks, uh, tickets for me this week. So I'm a little salty about that, but I am, if I have good bench options, I'm sitting Drake May moving forward. Um. I just, I don't really trust it. So May on the bench, I am hitting the panic button for his CFF value. I'm still not really panicking about his NFL value, but I think, and I think we did a good job of, of talking about this, this off season, like Caleb Williams is the only guy that's like locked, locked in with his draft capital today. I still think Drake may with the bad season could slide, you know, middle end of the top 10, middle of the first round and could even, I mean, something catastrophic happens, maybe even go further. But I do like, this is, this is what we mean. Like it's very hard to lock these guys into these early, this early draft capital. Marvin Harrison is really the only other guy out there right now that I think is uh, pretty locked into this stage. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, panicked on Caleb Johnson out of Iowa. Uh, he's looked just like crap, quite frankly. I watched th- this. I do this for you guys. I watched the entire Iowa, Iowa state game 
actually put it on TV and made my wife watch it too. So um, she's, I'm now sleeping on the couch and I wasted three hours of my life that I'm never getting back. Uh, Caleb Johnson, and to tell you that Caleb Johnson looks like crap. Don't play Caleb Johnson anymore. The only Iowa guy that I'm starting weekly is Luke Lachey just because of the target volume. Uh, but this offense is just bad. And they have to average 25 points. They have to average 25 points, and they've not gotten there either game yet. Like, this is not an offense that we're saying, like, well, they'll get there. No, they're not going to. They're not going to. The other kid for Iowa, whose name is escaping me right now, actually looked more explosive than he did. I think he's just kind of a thumper. I was kind of excited for him coming into the season, especially with the uh, impetus for Iowa to score more points and uh, be a little more aggressive offensively. But I've now learned that uh, that's not going to be the case. And Brian Ferentz is still going to coordinate scared. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, the other big one, I, I, Tennessee offense, like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting all these guys. I'm sitting all these guys. I've got two weeks out of it. I think they're all either banged up or just the offense hasn't clicked like we thought they would. Dante Thornton, dude, we want to talk about getting gaslit by the Minnesota uh, beat writers into saying, thinking that Ethan Kaliak Manis is good, which by the way, we did not fall for. But the one I think we did fall for a little bit was Dante Thornton. That I thought Dante Thornton was terrible at Oregon. And then we got told by the, the people around Tennessee that, man, they want to use Dante Thornton so many different ways. He's so good. Dante Thornton is still bad. This offense is not what it was last year. I don't know if that's entirely a Joe Milton issue. I'm not exactly sure who else's issue it would be because this offense is just like timing, spacing, and then just getting the ball in the time and space required, which basically falls on the quarterback. Like there's no real separation required because the scheme does it for you. So I have a hard time blaming the receivers. Um and I know some of these guys haven't been fully healthy, but I'm I'm sitting all of them until I see otherwise. Uh, Joe Melton, I think you maybe can still get away with playing, but um, you know, especially once they get into the SEC here, I am legitimately worried about that offense. I'm wondering if we see Nico. We're centering back to that discussion again. We'll see. Uh, 2025 quarterback class. Um, <laughs> uh, we thought this class would be solid. I don't think we like loved it. We didn't think it was a bad class. We didn't think it was this past year either with, um, you know, Dante Moore and, and Malachi Nelson and Arch Manning and, and all those guys, uh, probably somewhere in the middle. Um, we're only two games into this season, which the second year is really where you start to see a lot of these guys start to take the reins and start. Um, so I'm not panicking, but I do think it's concerning that um, none of these quarterbacks have really like taken a hold of what we hoped they would yet uh drew alar was pretty good week one but i i like i i think i said on at least one show last week across our platform i thought his performance was slightly overrated if he hadn't hit that extremely in my opinion lucky uh deep scrambling shot to keandre lambert smith in the first half i think we're looking at that performance a lot differently um so i think that uh, drew alar is concerning me a little bit and especially because by all accounts, unlike other media groups, which are like, yeah, this guy looked like all the people around Penn State basically say that Drew Alar looks terrible in practice like 60% of the time. So, and I thought he could just be one of those guys to like, yeah, practice, whatever. Like, then they show up for the game and they just ball out. But like, I am slightly concerned by Drew Alar in terms of like the finer things of the position. Again, only two starts out of him. I'm not panicking, 
But I think if I can sell Drew Allar to somebody who's like banking on him to be a, an, a top five NFL draft pick, then I think I'm taking that that value all day. And again, I talked about it last week. I kind of silo the quarterback position. I'm trying to bump him up into an NFL asset, an NFL quarterback asset specifically if I'm trying to move him. So uh, Drew Allar, if I can trade him up into the NFL, man, if I could go trade him for Kyler Murray, I would do it in a heartbeat or a guy like that. I, I would do it. I, th- I think, you know, just that's uh, the odds uh, are, are better to be played that way. Connor Wegman, who I uh, do think had exceeded expectations a little bit week one, uh, albeit against really weak opposition. I thought he statistically was impressive, but I think the pocket presence there, it can be really wonky at times. So I'm a little scared. I think that's something that is really hard to teach like just kind of like that third eye in the back of your head that tells you when a guy's coming uh, the feeling of like calmness where you're not super antsy and, and breaking the pocket early. Like, I don't know again, two games, two games, guys keep this two games, two games, but these are just the thoughts that I have as I'm thinking about this week, a little concerning for Wegman, a little concerning against a team that is, you know, a lot better than New Mexico or New Mexico state, whoever they played week one. I, like New Mexico is too low populated of a state to have two FBS football programs. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Kate Klubnick, he's been crap through through two two weeks, like just straight up. PFF has him credited for three total to, total turnover worthy plays. That's just like hilariously wrong. I, I've seen him throw at least five that probably should have been picked off. He's not been good. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And I think. The other thing with Klubnik that I think, you know, it's it the, the argument for Klubnik is that, yeah, he's a little small. He's not as physically gifted, but he uh, is accurate and on time and like smart and process as well. And it's like, yeah, he's, you know, a lot of a lot of almost interceptions this year. I'm not sure he's been super accurate or making good decisions or reading the field well. So concerning for him, I think he's the guy that I'm most concerned of. And I think he's the biggest sell if you can get out from underneath K Klubnik. For a good price, I'm not saying dump them, a good price, you go ahead and do that. The other quarterbacks from this class that I think just haven't looked very good, Devin Brown uh, you know, wasn't good this weekend. Ty Simpson, I think his time at Bama's done. Gunnar Stockton, uh, could he be good for, for Georgia next year? Maybe that's assuming Carson Beck doesn't stay, and I'm starting to think he will because it's not like he's been just absolutely dominating through a couple weeks and he has eligibility, so... Um, you know, overall, I think you're just really hoping that a guy like Garrett Nussmeyer comes out of nowhere next year and takes uh, takes a job or somebody stays for another year, like a J.J. McCarthy. Can't believe I just said that. He would probably be the number one. Or the, eh, he'd be a top three quarterback in this class pretty easily at this stage. I think the NFL would value it that way. So that quarterback class looking a little worrisome to me right now. I do just want to touch on Colorado for a minute because we talked a lot about them. And I don't think in, in week one. And I don't think the uh, what happened week two was – I don't think we learned anything from what we watched week two. I watched this uh, whole game again. Uh, I was trying to find Felix on TV, but couldn't find him. Couldn't find him. Um, I think from a pure volume perspective, this offense is going to be what we basically said it's going to be after week one. Shador is going to throw 35 to 50 passes every single week. I think that's just what this offense does. So I think he's a weekly start no matter what. I think I am fine starting Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn every week because I think even if you don't necessarily know the week that they're that one is better than the other, I think the volume is just so good that uh, I'm fine playing both of them. 
every single week. Um, Travis Hunter is not a weekly start option. We talked about this on Debbie Debate this week. I'm not starting Travis Hunter. I still think it's just so much to expect him. Like he he could he could very well be hashtag built different. I am not doubting Travis Hunter as like a talented player, but I think it's really difficult to expect him to continue week in week out to consistently play the, that many snaps um, uh, against you know the competition. The schedule is going to start getting a little tougher. Um, so. Uh, I actually think Travis Hunter, if you have him in a league, if I can sell him up into the NFL asset, I'm probably doing that. Um, I, I, I would, I would, I still think at the end of the day, eventually he's going to have to basically pick one position to play 95% of the time. And I think it's going to be corner. I just think he's more valuable there. Um, so Travis Hunter, I think is a huge sell. Uh, if you can do that, I think this week did kind of reinforce that for me. Uh, game of the week. This week, last item, last week it was uh, Florida State LSU. This week uh, is that Bama-Texas game and just kind of my thoughts on everything that happened there. Uh, Quinn Ewers looked really good, and I think this gives you a really nice sell window on Quinn Ewers, quite frankly. Um, not that I'm like switched my my position to like thinking Quinn Ewers is a bum or anything, but I think overall he had been really struggling on deep balls. He was extremely accurate in this game. Could this just be like Joe that time that Joe Burrow got like tackled into oblivion and then came back and just went on a tear and then became the first overall NFL draft pick? Like, yeah, that could that could be true. But I think I we have a member who I said last week on the show, I think it's time to sell Quinn Ewers, and I would sell him for anything like NFL wise, like any position NFL wise. Somebody got Stefan Diggs for him. Like, I think that's the kind of value that you can get from a quarterback hungry team. So I'm shopping around and seeing if I can get a similar uh, hall to that maybe you can maybe you can't but i'm definitely trading him up again trading him up into the nfl not down into younger assets that doesn't make a lot of sense to me at this juncture i do think um overall though this offense did kind of do what i thought it would do this week which was changed a lot more three-step drops get the ball out quickly and quinn does, and again i said this last week quinn has looked excellent in those situations and looked excellent uh in that kind of offense again this week. So if he can lock in the deep ball ability, I feel good about him. I feel good about him. I still think the big issue is going to be uh, he doesn't, the other, the other big issue is going to be that he doesn't really look super comfortable running around, um, which, you know, NFL quarterbacks kind of have to do now. Um, he, he doesn't do particularly well outside of structure. So um, all things, all things considered, I have not changed my stance on Quinn, um, but I can't acknowledge like he had a really good game and this could be, um, a nice confidence boost for him moving forward. I just think the the risk of holding him, if you can sell him for a Stephon Diggs-ish package, is too much to uh, ignore overall. Uh, the other Texas takeaway, you know, Adonai Mitchell just keeps catching touchdowns. Uh, JT Sanders looked really, really good. I'm, I'm starting to come around there. Uh, but Cedric Baxter actually looked pretty solid in this game from what I saw. He had four receptions, which I thought was encouraging because we didn't see a ton of his pass catching ability in high school. Uh, I think he, of, of the running backs that got run, he looked like the most difficult to tackle for whatever that's worth, uh, on the night for Texas. So I think he, oh, by the end of the season, I still feel like he, this job is going to be his, uh, at least, uh, the majority of the snaps will be his for Alabama. Uh, two takeaways. Um, they still have not gotten quarterback or wide receiver right over the past couple of years. Uh, yes, Jermaine Burton did have a nice week this week, and this is a really nice Jermaine Burton sell window. Um, if you've got him, 
they did like I don't trust any of these quarterbacks to like get the ball to the skill guys there. I don't trust any of the wide receivers to make the quarterback look better. Like just really tough. If they had recruited one or the other, well, I don't think we'd be in this situation. I still think this Alabama team um is pretty good. Like they still almost beat this Texas team. There's a very real chance that they just go the rest of the regular season undefeated anyway. Um, but that's where the disconnect's been for them. And I don't see that getting a ton better. I don't love their class next year as of today they do have ryan williams coming in who might reclassify i don't think he has yeah maybe he has but he's the top 2025 kid he might reclassify to 2024 and that would make me feel pretty good he'd probably be the best receiving prospect they've gotten in since um i actually i, th- I think yeah, i have him graded higher than like the the jacory brooks like jai hall jojo earl class so he he is the bet the best uh receiving prospect they've gotten in, in some time uh speaking of big receiving prospects they've gotten in. I've been really disappointed in Malik Benson through two weeks. I thought that he would uh, see the field more, quite frankly, run a lot more routes, uh, just more snaps, more targets, but only four targets through two weeks, Um, especially with what this receiving group looks like. I'm a little concerned if you can sell him for initial cost, you know, kind of like that late first, early second, I would probably do it. Um, I, I would feel okay doing that. And it could be risky because I thought there was one catch in particular in this game that he kind of had to go up and get it strong, caught the ball away from his body and looked like like everything kind of clicked in that moment for him. Like he, he looked pretty good, but the rest of that night, like he kind of looked lost um, and, and hasn't, I mean, through two games, has done basically nothing for Alabama. And that's a little concerning, uh, especially because he's not a true freshman. Like this is a junior. He's, he's a guy that's 20 years old. He should be, at worst, just physically dominating people. And he doesn't seem to be able to do that. So a little concerning there. All right, that's going to do it for key takeaways here this week, guys. Uh, I'll be back next week uh, with another rendition. Make sure you're checking out the other shows here uh, on the network. Nelly talking strategy every week. uh, And then Matt Waldman, uh, obviously the great Matt Waldman, kind of walking through whatever he wants to talk about that week. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you guys again for everything you do, all of your support. I will catch you next week.